Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You're listening to episode 153, and tonight we are covering the top five superhero movies outside the MCU. The long-planned episode going back like three years that just kept getting bumped and bumped and bumped, and now we're finally here and finally doing it. Um, because if not now, it'll probably be never. So um regardless of that i am really excited to talk about a lot of these movies um it was extremely fun list to watch i thought so um frank um how'd you enjoy movies on the list uh i really enjoyed watching all of them um as much as i've kind of dreaded this list in general (laughs) like i genuinely had a good time watching the movies and i thought that it was um a good list overall you know i think there'll be some interesting things to talk about yeah, I think it has a lot more depth than maybe I would have considered the past couple of years um, of things to talk about. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you is um, you can't escape the MCU. It's in the title of this damn episode, even. Um, what do you, and now like basically everything Marvel is included in, in, in the MCU with the multiverses and stuff like that, it seems. So, but like, superhero movies outside the mcu what do you think the mcu quickly did right to kind of like make itself this kind of goliath to where it's like we have to do a episode about movies that are outside of that universe i mean i think i think it's a pretty easy question it's that yeah. they decided on some overarching like plot lines they were going to explore and then they hired good actors and good directors and good screenwriters to create these movies that could stand on their own, but still build like an overall, I don't know, like a whole cloth universe with the same people without changing and rearranging people for the most part. I mean, aside from um, War Machine, like how much do you really ever have a character change or whatever? Mm. Um, Even with, you know, the death of Chadwick Boseman for Black Panther, um, they're still just going in a different direction while not like like replacing him as Black Panther necessarily. So it, many of the other, like, so really the only other, you know, you have the X-Men stuff from the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, the Batman universe throughout its course of its history, um, pretty much DC and Marvel outside of like the MCU stuff has never had the wherewithal to create like a universe that matters or that stays together so so it's really... you're, you're anticipating already what i where i was going with and what i was going to ask you i think um so what 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 was going on that like these movies weren't overall as maybe financially successful critically successful at times um like like all these things that are outside the MCU with outside that continuity, um, you pick kind of like the five best here, but like, there's a lot of them. And like, um, and I don't think you have, but of a few probably to talk about beyond this five. So like, where's the disconnect? Do you think with all these other movies that are outside of that Marvel universe? They just don't take comic books seriously in the right way. Um, I think that even though there's some criticism in the MCU stuff of like the jokiness, and we were just talking about this with some of the criticism for the new Thor movie, um, for the most part, there's like a definite reverence and understanding for what makes comics great, which is 
it is like getting to know a character and it is about understanding a universe and how it connects and being able to like read an, an issue of Spider-Man and have some elements of that maybe come up later in an issue of like the Avengers or the Fantastic Four or X-Men or whatever. And that's what like was cool about comics, especially as a kid, was that you didn't necessarily have to read every comic to understand like who a character was. So um, one of the things that most, and I think DC is the most egregious about this, is that they feel like they have to tell the origin story of every character every time they reboot the franchise. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do you really want the franchise rebooted that much? Like, I don't need to know what your minor tweak on Spider-Man is or on Batman is this time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like, I know the origin story of Spider-Man. And I think that most people that are going to go watch a comic book movie knows at least has some semblance of idea of where Spider-Man comes from. So the MCU and, the way that they kept the same actors and you know use the same directors and have like a very similar visual aesthetic to everything they do like it builds that sense of connectivity that actually makes you want to watch them like even the ones that aren't necessarily the greatest um you know are still pretty appealing and if you decide you don't want to watch one if you don't have to because those characters are still the same characters and right you know well what's interesting given what you just said is on your list tonight it's like there's a couple movies with character continuity and one movie that just ignores trying to retell a origin and right. it's like you know i mean there at least in your mind there's something you know you're consistent there's something to that it seems like about this idea of keeping the same character or keep the same actors and then um you know, not retelling damn origin stories over and over again, which, yes, is a big, big problem. Yeah. See, I don't, for the longest time, and I remember having this conversation, I know that you and I talked about it, and um, I remember having this conversation with um, my friend Jeremy at work at the steel mill, um, at kind of the, you know, like the uh, nascent days of the Marvel Universe, of like, how are they ever going to be able to afford to have all these people in the same movie? Like, how can you pay, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and like all these people Samuel Jackson um you know to be in the same movies and I mean they definitely reap the benefits of doing that so and again like they they're comic movies that are written by people who understand what comics are and you watch something like I'll give you an example of a terrible fucking outside the MCU movie um like all the Fantastic Four iterations from the two movies with Chicklist and whatever that guy's name is and Jessica Alba. And then the one that came out, the Josh Trank one mm-hmm. are so tonally wrong for those characters that you can tell that the person that created the movie didn't really have an understanding of right. What makes the fantastic four great basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of felt that way about the X-Men movies in a sense too, because they were just too, it was like they don't have to take it seriously to the sense where it's got to be like like deathly serious but you have to take it seriously where you have a respect for what those characters mean and like what they can do like you can't just be i don't know jokes or whatever so i think that the movies we're going to talk about tonight have the right mindset towards like what makes comic books great and i think the creators of these movies have a real appreciation for you know the characters that they're 
um, portraying in them and actually get them right in pretty much every way. Um, except for the one movie that's like, you know, a wholly unique universe of characters, which I also like really enjoy. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it. But I really like, you know, and like you said, there's continuity between two and then two are completely different, but still effective. So, yeah. so was there um, anything outside of the top five here that you consider putting on the list? Um, we've already talked about it, but I think that Logan belongs on that list. Um, I don't know if technically now Logan is canon and in the MCU because of Patrick Stewart and the fact that the X-Men are like on the cusp of being part of the MCU. Um, but Logan's a fantastic movie right um shazam is really good like i like shazam a lot but with the way we're going to talk about things i didn't know how to really fit shazam in and i really wanted to put the number five movie on the list so um that had to be left out um the first wonder woman movie is good um it's one of the better dc offerings um while i think there's a lot of flaws to it i still think that batman versus superman um has some good stuff in it and is worth watching um you're a big fan of Affleck, right? As, as I mean, I as, Affleck as, is is my favorite Batman. Yeah, uh, just because I think he captures the. I really loved the Dark Knight Returns stuff when I was a kid, and I think that Affleck is like the guy that is that iteration of Batman before he actually becomes that Batman. So it's like before everything collapses, like that's the guy that Batman would have been. Um, and I think that Affleck has like the gravitas to pull off the brooding Bruce Wayne stuff, but I also think that he works well as the playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. um, more so than like there, there's different actors that do like one thing better, but I think that Affleck is the one that does both things in yeah. total the best. That'll, that'll be an interesting conversation. Yes. Yeah. Um, anything else? I can't think. I mean, I love the first Spider-Man movie when it came out, but I've kind of soured on um, that first uh, series um, yeah. just because of Raimi and how much I dislike two and three. Um, X-Men First Class, I thought was fantastic when it came out. But again, like the way they steered that franchise, I thought it really went downhill with like every other iteration. So is first, which one's first class? First class is the first one of the reboot. Oh, with the with, younger um, people. Fast, yeah, Fastbender yeah. and um, what's his name? Yeah, I really liked that the first time I watched it. I never watched it again, but then the, I did see most of the sequel to that one, um, yeah. and it was not good. The sequel has some parts that are decent. It's the Days of Futures Past and um, Age of Apocalypse that really like plummet those movies. Oh, Jesus, I thought Days of Future Past was the second one, so I somehow like either missed it or don't remember. Uh, maybe I'm thinking wrong. Maybe that I don't, is, You're maybe probably that right. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Days of Futures Past is has some decent stuff but is way too long and age of apocalypse just terrible movies so yeah. um but yeah that's about it oh i also as a joke thought about putting mystery men on this list oh um but i do genuinely enjoy mystery men mm-hmm. and then there's stuff like Brightburn, which i think is actually like a really good like superhero horror movie mm-hmm. um but it's kind of like outside that genre and um we already had one movie that's no you know that's all like it's a self-contained film so yeah okay so um let's go ahead and start off uh oldest or no not oldest movie um okay so number five on your list is sky high from 2005 
It is directed by Mike Mitchell. It stars Michael Angarano, um, Kurt Russell, Kelly Preston, Daniel Panabaker, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. It has a 73% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 57% from audiences. So you want to tell oh, man, us? that's pretty crazy. Yeah, a little bit about this movie and um, and why you... This is the genesis of this list to some degree, isn't it? Yeah. Um, three years ago or whatever? When we yeah, when I was saying I don't know how we'll ever get sky high on a list, basically. Right. Yeah. Um so sort of the origin story of this kid who is the son of the two greatest superheroes, um the commander and Jetstream, is that her name? Um who are uh these two, it's like basically like uh they, they're basically Superman, but split into two, um, a, a husband and wife. Um, so the premise is that there's this school that's on this floating continent above the Earth where the superpowered children of other superheroes come to basically learn how to use their powers, to learn how to either be a sidekick or have a sidekick or villains kind of like hone their villainy there and then they all go out and they become like the superheroes of the world um so just remove i was right by the way um so will stronghold is the son of the commander in Jetstream, um but has not he's a teenager but is not not yet learned like what his powers are like his powers haven't manifested um which is a pretty common thing with especially like the x-men in terms of you know that you have this mutant gene and usually during times of stress or puberty like he becomes active so most of the people that will knows have realized their powers in some sort and um they're all like homages to different characters like there's an evil guy that's mr fantastic and a chubby guy that's the flash and Mm -hmm um this mean like cheerleader girl that's like multiple man so they they pull powers from like pretty liberally from marvel and dc sure um will's best friend is this girl who's basically like a um hippie poison ivy who can control um and speak to plant life um his other best friend is this uh i don't know what you would call him like seth green-esque like hipster wannabe um that is played by Zach Nicholas yeah. Braun plays him. Yeah, um, um, young Nicholas Braun of yeah. Succession, you know Zola. Um, who can glow in the dark, and that's like his only power. Um, so he finds he goes to school, and it's kind of like his first day. Um, shit, fuck! I just forgot. Bruce Campbell uh, is the guy that sort of assigns their powers, and they find out that he doesn't have any, and so he becomes a sidekick um which he hides from his parents for a while until like they find out and then he goes to school one day and finds out that he has a nemesis which is this guy Warren Peace um who's kind of like a human torch style character um and Will's dad the commander put Warren Peace's dad in jail for life um so they get in a fight and Will's powers manifest and he finds out that he's super strong and then he becomes like the most popular kid in school and all these people want to hang out with him and um the beautiful uh who plays her mary elizabeth winstead who's like the class president like she wants to take him to 
prom or whatever so he sort of kind of moves a little bit away from his group of friends and there's a love interest thing with um the best friend uh layla or whatever her name is mm -hmm. um the plant girl um so in the end you find out that uh the mary elizabeth winstead character is actually the old arch nemesis of the commander um who had gotten hit with this um how, what do they call it? it's not the pacifier it's the uh the, yeah, she, is it the pacifier mm -hmm. yep it's the pacifier. she has this ray that turns like people into babies and it backfired and she had turned into a baby and her henchmen had basically raised her as his daughter right. after that um so her goal is to turn all the heroes of sky high into babies um and take over the world and um will and his group of misfit sidekicks and whatever like they come to save the day and they end up uh, beating her and will then realizes he can also fly so he's got the powers of both of his parents and that's it pretty much um it's a really family-friendly movie there's not a lot of nothing really scary in it and i think it has a really good sense of humor to it without being like deprecating um it's very much like a pulpy look at superheroes as opposed to like a sour like grimdark look or again like super self-deprecating um really great performances by like more of like the cameo cast i think um i think kurt russell is really great in it um there's uh shit. linda carter plays the principal in like a cameo role and she's good um campbell is really funny as a uh, coach boomer um yeah mm -hmm. there's a character um ron wilson who's a bus driver that went to sky high um that never got power so he became sky high's bus driver uh kelly preston's really good as the mom um and then there's small things like um Dave Foley and Jim Rash and Kevin McDonald uh, in like small bit roles as like superhero or superhero teachers and they're all um, they're all pretty funny too so it's just in all all in all like an enjoyable movie to watch um, it's this is like in the fifth spot because number one it's not it's like the weakest movie on the list and I don't think it's a bad movie it's just not as good as the other four mm -hmm. and also this is 100% a nostalgia pick because this is something that I just happened to find a Target um, like one day when Frankie was a kid and I bought it and we just watched it a whole bunch. Yeah. At which point you told me to watch it and I remember really enjoying it 15 some years ago and um, yeah, I still enjoyed it too. Um, like you said, uh, I think there's a lot of good funny performances. Um, I like the sense of humor in it. It's uh, it's a fun movie. It's not super inventive whatsoever. I mean, like you said, it's like kind of like cribbing from like you know all these like past like comics powers. But a lot of good young actors um, in it as well. Like you kind of focused on like the the, the heroes. I really like the performances by the the younger cast as well. Um, um, I thought Braun was funny. Um, I think Will, um, and then. Uh, Panabaker ended up having like a fairly successful television career after this. Uh, the guy who plays War and Peace is actually Stephen Strait. The lead ended up being the lead on um, The Expanse. Mm. Um, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I can see that now. Yeah, he's just like has more weight to him um, he's, um, when he's younger. Um, wasn't like skin and bones, kind of. But 
Yeah, I thought I thought all that. The only thing that I thought uh, you get used to it after a while, but I, I I think I texted you about it. It's like the the Dutch angles, yeah, um, is really distracting for about maybe like 10, 15 minutes until you just get used to it. But like pretty much everything in this movie is filmed in a Dutch angle, yes, which is a really weird conceit. I think it's a conscious choice to try and kind of give you the impression of like a comic panel. Um, to allow for some like skewed framing, so you Agreed. have like like it kind of looks like you're looking at a comic comic panel. But um, there's a movie that we we'll talk about later that does that effectively though, because <laughs> it chooses when it does it <laughs> and doesn't do it like constantly um, throughout the entire movie. So one of the things I like about this movie too, and this is something I didn't even think about until I watched it this time ever. Um, every song in this movie um is a cover of another song so it's a um a modern band covering typically a band from the 80s and one of their hits um and i think that that's a conscious choice because it really is like in a lot of ways this movie is kind of like a cover of like just the comic industry in general and like that is funny the superhero genre and um maybe it's cheaper i don't know to pay for someone to do a cover of a song but i really like a lot of the versions of the songs in this movie um i really like the soundtrack a lot in general uh and i um i don't know like i'm really surprised that it's a 50 some percent from audiences because yeah um i'll tell you why i mean because i have a couple questions for you actually based off of the criticism there is um one of them and this is me kind of compiling stuff and like reframing it so it makes sense and it's not just like oh it's boring um because that's the most common thing uh is is stuff like that always so it seems what people think is that like basically mitchell doesn't get as much out of the material as could have that that he could have um and a few people like make reference to the idea of like how Edgar Wright ended up doing a Scott Pilgrim. Um, and that like, this could have been, there was more kind of depth. There was more visual pizzazz that you could have gotten out of this movie. Had you had someone who was maybe like a more capable director here. Um, so that's one of like the more valid criticism, uh, potentially valid criticism, I would say um, that pops up a lot. Uh, yeah. the, the other one is people think that it's too campy. Um, I don't and, know. And a lot of people compare it, which is interesting. I wanted to ask you about this compared to Spy Kids, um, which I know is a movie you're not a fan of, really. And I was wondering, like, how you would respond to that and what you would see the differences in terms of the camp level. Um, um, oof. I find the campiness to be endearing in this movie and I find the campiness to be grating in Spy Kids. Um, I don't know if that's just, I don't really have an answer for like why that is. It's just like, maybe it's just Rodriguez's take on superheroes. Um, I find the Spy Kids movies to be kind of boring, sort of, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the campiness works here because it's not, I mean, look, this movie was made before, like, the superhero genre was anything that made any kind of money. It's it's a, it's a an homage to, like, 
the pulp comics of the 60s it's not an homage to like fucking frank miller's daredevil or something you know so the campiness works like you can almost even see like the banff boom like things so it's you know kind of almost reverential in that respect to the um batman serial from the 60s sure. which i imagine um was a big influence especially because you know they have like the the poles they slide down and they're secret uh-huh. sanctum i mean it's taken from like everything so and it's a movie that's made for children like it's not right. made for an adult audience so if you're gonna i don't know yeah i think that's a silly complaint personally yeah that was that was largely like outside of like the typical you know oh it's just boring not not very good or whatever like those were the kind of like two major complaints is that it was too childish too campy i guess and then also um that the director direction could have been better i guess overall basically people wanted to be a little more like scott pilgrim and yeah, but i mean you're gonna compare it to a movie that came out like 10 years after it. like that's not or eight years after it, whatever that's not a fair comparison so right. yeah. like for when it came out and what it is it's a entertaining movie Agreed. and um i think it's definitely a great like family movie absolutely yeah especially if you're trying to get your kids into superheroes at like an earlier age where you don't necessarily want to show them mm-hmm. i don't know like fucking thor dark world or some nonsense <laughs> right i'm not sure if that's the one you'd start with either but i take your point uh, own, nobody should be subjected to thor dark world come on <laughs> not even a child <clears throat> so movie's awful yeah it's pretty terrible <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, but now, if you've never seen it, like it's worth checking out. I think even for adults, it's still like fun because it has a lot of uh, meta humor in it too. I right. mean, like through like the different stunt castings and like all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, it's it's a really fun. Movie. It's on Disney Plus, so mostly everybody has access to Disney Plus. I think. Um, it's what like ninety minutes long or something, eighty-eight minutes long, hundred minutes long. Sorry. Um, so it's not like overly long and it's enjoyable it's fun yeah no absolutely all right number four on your list is a little bit more recent from 2020 it is birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn it is directed by kathy yan stars margaret roby uh Rosie Perez, Mary Elizabeth Winstead again, Journey, Smollett Bell, Ella J. Basco, and Ewan McGregor. It has a 79% from critics and a 78% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and um, why it made the list? This is a movie I was super skeptical about um, before it came out. And it actually, I believe, had kind of a troubled production because originally it wasn't supposed to feature uh, the Harley Quinn character, but then they um, made her a more prominent uh give her a more prominent role in the movie because of Roby's popularity as the character um I hate the first Suicide Squad movie mm-hmm. and even though I think that Roby is good in it like I really really kind of dislike their the way that they write Harley Quinn in that movie um I'm not a big Harley Quinn fan anyway as the character in general like um not really super into like the Joker or anything but I think she's amazing in this movie. Um, so it basically tells the story of um, Harley breaking up with the Joker and becoming the target of pretty much every criminal in the town who now wants to kill her because she's been a colossal asshole for her entire life. 
Um, so she gets uh, sucked into working for uh, Black Mask, who's a DC villain. Um, Roland Sionis is the, or Roland Sionis, something Sionis, name of the character. Um, he's a psychopathic uh, mob boss that has Victor Zaz, who's a serial killer from the Batman comics, working for him. Um, so Harley is tasked with retrieving a diamond um, that has been, was stolen from Sionis and then like stolen back and then lost. And so she has to go get it. And it turns out that this um, pickpocket uh, from the neighborhood that she lives in has pickpocketed the diamond from Zaz. Um, so then they introduce the uh, Montoya character um, who's a really talented cop who's kind of been overlooked because of her gender. Um, they introduce the Huntress character um, who's uh, been on revenge and that's actually funny because it's also mary elizabeth winstead playing right. that role yeah um and then the black canary character um played by uh smollett bell um who works for sionis but kind of has like a good heart and is sort of just stuck in a bad situation um so through a series of events of all three of them kind of looking for this diamond um and montoya trying to catch harley and Black Canary kind of trying to make sure that Zaz and Sionis don't actually like, kill anybody, um, especially this little girl. They all come together and they end up fighting, <clears throat> fighting the mob and um, taking them down, uh, blowing Sionis up um, and setting up what I thought was maybe going to be like a series. I don't know if this was intended as a series at the time, but um, that never came to fruition. Um, it's a really funny movie. It's got a really good heart to it. Um, it's interesting to watch. I don't ever find it to be like condescending or anything. Um, so it has really good positive portrayals of female characters without being like, like overly cloying or anything. Um, and it makes Harley Quinn like an actual kind of likable anti-hero in a lot of ways, uh, which I found like, so I only watched this movie. I think I was just really bored one morning and it come up on um, HBO Max and I had no expectations. I ended up loving it um i think i texted you like you probably should watch this movie because it's really good um roby is fantastic in this role um everybody else is really good in their supporting roles um in particular uh oh, fuck, what's his name? Um, rosie perez's montoya is really good um chris messina has this nice like creepiness to him as um zaz um Ewan McGregor kind of like seals the show with his like scenery chewing as Sionis. Um, and it's nice to have like the continuity between, especially the Harley Quinn character, like being the same actress in what feels like the same universe. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I really impressed by it. Um, really kind of had hoped that it would get a sequel, but I don't know. I guess that's not ever going to happen. Um, I don't even know. Did it like, bomb at the box office is that right it was um it was about 90 million dollar budget and made about 200 um so not like a massive success or anything like that um i'm not it sure also also has well mean, right it also has the um downside of being like one of the last yeah January like pre, 25th, pre, yeah. pre-covid movies and in a lot of ways it's like maybe that was when we were all starting to really talk about like should we be going out and oh no gathering february 7th yeah gathering in public um yeah so it takes a hit there probably because this probably would have got more word of mouth and 
and I think people were really turned off just by the fact that the first Suicide Squad movie is so bad. Yeah. And I think it's really, I think it's a lot more difficult for DC to, maybe they've gotten better at it now, but especially with the second Suicide Squad movie and with, you know, um, Shazam and stuff, but I don't think people really just wanted to go and sit through it. Like, they thought, like, they thought it would be, like, bad and it just ended up being great so i i hope it's found some kind of second life on streaming since it's available on hbo max um along with dc's like all their other stuff but um yeah really fun movie worth watching yeah i genuinely like margot roby has turned me into a fan of the harley quinn character sure in the way it's presented in this universe so i'm i i hope that she gets the chance to um revisit that role at some point yeah, I don't remember if you texted me or not. If you did, I ignored it probably. But um, like, and didn't watch it till later. I remember just like during COVID at some point, I just started watching all the DC movies because I was sad and didn't have anything else to do, and watched it and um was was kind of like taken aback. And so you probably did text me because I remember texting you and you saying like, "Oh yeah, that's really good." I told I, like something like I, like as if like you had told me about it before. Like, um, well, because so it was one of the had. it was one of those things where I woke up at like six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday yeah. and did my work from home shit and then had nothing to do and wasn't right. tired. I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just watch this movie." So, yeah, and- I was pretty surprised by it too, having not remembered maybe that you texted me about it, and it was like, "Oh, this is like really enjoyable." Um, and then watching it again for this, um, I, I really paid attention a lot more to it. And I mean, I th- I think you could simplify and just say that it's just plain fun, and it is. I mean, like that it's like this kind of like has this kind of like chaotic nature to the narrative. Um, a lot of like you know funny or at least chuckle worthy jokes in it. Um, fun protagonists, really good soundtrack too. I thought that kept the energy like you know moving in the movie like throughout. Yeah, no. But I mean, as you said, this is like a career defining role for Roby. Um, like uh, the ability to be able to take this character who I guess has like this reputation to some degree that I think you were like kind of like you know, talking around like a little bit at the beginning, like you know, like a problematic, you know, um, right reputation, like to some degree. And um, I, I think there's a lot of credit to go to just uh, how charismatic and mesmerizing and um, you know, unique she makes this version of the character. And um, but a, a lot of credit here goes to Yan as well. Um, like she takes this like movie that is is rather chaotic um and the scenes contain so much energy and pizzazz and stuff like that and yet they're logical and they make sense at the same time like so her action sequences are to me are actually really well done um and i think a lot of her visuals are really well done like even like uh, and, and I could talk for a while, but you would almost need video to, you know, to, to do this properly. But it's like she she's very logical about like the way I mean, the way that she like, you know, like things get edited together and the way she films stuff so that like everything makes sense. Um, and she always ends with like kind of like um, a cherry on top in terms of like whatever this big thing is, like things get silent and it's like, you know, like this like last thing happens and it has like a little bit of a comedic effect to it at times, but um, it's, but it like that happens and it's like on to the next thing. And it's just, it's, it's extremely, because of that, it's an extremely well-paced movie, I think. And, and the action just keeps going from one scene to another and you're building character and you're building plot like throughout all of this. Yeah. Um, 
and another thing another scene that's like completely almost like outside of like the harley quinn stuff that i find extremely uncomfortable and i think this takes a lot of talent for a director is when sionis ends up um like losing his fucking mind in the club and makes that girl who really didn't do anything he thinks the girl's laughing at him oh yeah he get makes up on her, the table get, makes her get up in the table and dance in front of everybody and then makes her boyfriend like cut her dress off of her yeah it is like it is something that's like uncomfortable like not to the same level but it's like por- henry portrait of a serial killer like uncomfortable of like yeah. just like how demeaning and gross like you know and it really i think helps solidify like that character um i think and it's extremely well shot like the entire thing um to to and it doesn't let you breathe from that discomfort yeah i was gonna say it really sucks all the air out of like the momentum and like the kinetic energy of that movie up to that point right right and as i think it's uh, really gutsy to do and um yeah i i don't know a lot about um yeah and honestly like i mean i i did look her up like um for the podcast but um i don't know most of her work um i like any of it really so um yeah but uh, i i think that it's you know great direction for yeah. like somebody who doesn't have like a lot of like big name credits um to their to their filmography it's um, very um I think it really works too because it's very James Gunn-esque like not to say that it's the same because I think she has her own mm-hmm. kind of unique um directorial style and like visual aesthetic but just the way that it's paced and the way that it plays with time and um the way that she shoots action sequences like it feels very much like like a gun movie and I think that out of all the directors of the superhero movies in general I think that he might have the best grasp of what makes a movie compelling and fun at the same time and i think that she does the same thing here so yeah um well i'll just go ahead and introduce it there is was one connection i want to i want to make between this um the third movie on your list is 2021's the suicide squad directed by james gunn um it also stars margot roby um as harley quinn stars idris elba john cena viola davis and joel kinnaman has a 90% from critics and 82% from audiences. Um, but I think, let's go ahead now. Yeah, go ahead, Frank. Um, so tell us a little bit about this and I'll make a point later. Um, so Suicide Squad is the uh, sequel slash soft reboot to the Suicide Squad universe. Um, first introduced in 2016 uh, with the eponymous Suicide Squad movie that's fucking awful. Um, so this retains, um, some of the same cast and the same idea of groups of criminals that are offered leniency on their, um, sentences by Amanda Waller, who's the head of this organization, Division X or something, I think they call it, whatever they call it, Mm -hmm. um, who's basically a take no prisoners, um, like cold-hearted almost sociopath that's willing to use these people in any way to achieve the goals of the american government um so there's a mission that's set up where there's two groups of these criminals going in one group is the a group um who you find out is the more disposable group and the other group is the one that's comprised of people that she feels would be more effective in order to go into corto maltese which is a fake spanish country um 
and kind of take down this puppet government and destroy this thing called Project Starfish that the U.S. government has been secretly funding for years. Um, so the A-team, or the initial team, um, which has characters like uh, this thing, the weasel, that's basically just a giant weasel. Um, Savant. Savant, who's um, played by Michael Rooker, who's like a guy who can basically like the DC equivalent of Bullseye, like he can turn anything into a weapon. He's like a master weaponsmith. Um, Fox from the first movie is sent in. Yeah. Uh, Harley's in there. Um, Blackguard. Yeah, there's a Pete guy. Davidson, please. Right. Um, and then uh, Captain Boomerang. Right. So they get wiped out by the Corto Maltese army like right away. Um, and then you find out that on the other side, there's a group that's led by, and this is through like flashback and everything. They tell you the backstory of this, but um, group that's led by, uh, is it Bloodshot? Is that not, not Bloodshot? That's no, it's um, actual character. It's Bloodsport. Yeah. Bloodsport, Dead, sorry. Bloodshot was Will Smith in the first one. Right. Bloodsport is a um, character that I think was made up for this, um, or maybe is like a minor character. Anyway, so that's Erdris Alba. Um, John Cena's Peacemaker. Um, Ratcatcher, uh, King Shark, who's a giant, like anthropomorphic shark, um, and they're all and um, <laughs> polka dot man or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so they're all sent in to kind of go use the death of the first squad as a diversion to go in and take this thing down. Um, so again, another connection from Sky High. Uh, they end up. Um, kidnapping the thinker um who's played by peter capaldi yeah capaldi oh that's capaldi yep oh shit i guess it is i thought that was what's his name mcdonald the whole time oh that's funny <laughs> um so they kidnap the thinker um and use him to get into this thing that's um project jortmund or something like that uh, which I think is some kind of Nordic word for like the end of the world or whatever, um, which is this giant like spherical concrete bunker, not spherical, this giant like conical concrete oh, bunker. Right. Um, Jordanheim, thank you. And it turns out that what's in there is this giant sentient starfish alien um, that was captured that can shoot out these little um baby starfish that can latch onto a person's face and basically um then comes under the control of the starfish and the starfish is called starro um so you find out that peacemaker is there more or less to make sure that the evidence is destroyed so it can never be traced back to the u.s and fox is angry because um he wants to you know take the information and kind of expose like this um whatever like the dark deeds of the united states um so they fight and peacemaker kills fox and then it, it's hard to explain because there's so much stuff that the way this movie is filled the gun films this movie that's incredibly kinetic and fast-paced and it jumps all over the place um in a way where if you describe you know just in the order that you're watching the movie like how the jumps go sounds really terrible but in practice of the movie like works phenomenally well um in the end the suicide squad decides that they're going to disobey waller's orders to destroy the evidence and leave um waller's team knocks her out and then like helps the squad basically take down starro 
um, and become heroes. And then um, they kind of negotiate their own release um, from the program. Um, and that's it. I mean, it's really great character work in this movie. Um, it's almost like one of the most like backwards ass like buddy movies ever in terms of watching this group of villains like coalesce and become friends with each other and sort of appreciate each other um i think that all the actors do a phenomenal job um portraying the characters um elba is fantastic in his role um again this is margot roby reprising the harley quinn role for the third time in this movie and doing a fantastic job um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is she's being held prisoner by the um, president and is being tortured and then escapes from captivity and basically just slaughters like a whole um, whatever like company of, of soldiers that are there to like whatever, basically like protect the president and she just kills them all um, while the other, the rest of the team is working out a way where they can save her. And so she comes out and it's like, oh, you know, I can go back in and get cat. Like you can actually like work out your plan. Cause it sounds like a really nice plan. Um, yeah. A lot of really funny moments, um, some kind of touching moments, especially in the um, sort of father son or father daughter relationship that develops um, between the Elba character and the rat catcher character. Um, really well filmed, uh, amazing special effects. Like I think that um not that it really maybe is meant to be this way, but I think that if you look at the CGI on Starro and the way that they film it, it's probably the closest thing to like Lovecraftian horror that you're ever going to see in a major motion picture in the way that it's really effective and interesting and compelling. Um, I love the story of it. Uh, I love the, um, the interplay with like, time and chronology and the way they show it um they managed to do action sequences in a way that's um both interesting but not like over the top to the point where it's like bogs you down or whatever i mean it's always very like lighthearted and <clears throat> gun also one of the biggest compliments i can give to gun is that he knows how to film action in a way that's clear but not slow like you right. There's a high kinetic pace to everything that he films, but you can see what's happening. It's not like the Bourne movies where things get like blurred and um, which is kind of like a modern way to film action, but like he just has the, I don't know, like that perfect balance of um, energy and clarity, I guess, to lack of a better term, but. No, yeah, really. That, that's kind of what I was trying to describe a little bit with Yan, as I thought she did something very similar, where it's like you could easily see what was going on. It was all very logical. Um, yeah, agreed. Um, this is admittedly my favorite movie on this list in terms of like my enjoyment of watching it. Like I've mm -hmm. seen this movie now three times and enjoyed it just as much every time. Like it, I think it's a. I don't know if it's underrated because I know that people like it a lot, but I don't know that it's given as much credit as it deserves for as great as it is. Mm -hmm. And this is another movie that's kind of a like a COVID casualty yeah. in the sense that it probably would have been a much bigger box office hit, except that, you know, it was sure. released in a time when there was no box office. Right. Um, 
spun off into a great series, uh, Peacemaker, which I just finished watching last week, um, starring the Cena character in the title role, um, with a lot of the characters in this movie, um, the minor like Suicide Squad characters reprising their roles. Um, Cena is, in my opinion, like a revelation in the past few years, right? In terms of his acting ability and his just genuine natural talent at breathing life into a character um one of the things we talked about offline a little bit is i think because dc is much less concerned with having things get rated r and where marvel doesn't want to have you know they want to kind of maintain that pg-13 line as much as they can um i think dc embraces that maybe a little too much in their movies where there's i don't ever want to say that it's um inappropriate or off-putting but sometimes i feel like maybe tone it down just a little bit or maybe not have so many like you know dick jokes and sex jokes and whatever like not to say again like it never bothers me to the point where you know i don't want to watch the movie or i think the movie's inappropriate i just kind of feel like maybe find some other way to get that humor in there um but overall like i really love this movie greatly enjoyed watching it again this past time so and we'll probably watch it again at some point in my life oh yeah i mean i'll probably watch it a couple more times yeah i i love this movie as well um i think you've went through a lot of the stuff um that i really like about it um i really love the the opening like the 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 red herring i guess opening of sending these people onto the beach and having them just get slaughtered um to the point where it's like even when it's like you understand uh when savant like screams and like like tries to like swim away it's funny um yet it's still horrific at the same time of like you know like everybody just being destroyed um and i think this black card at first is like has sold them out right um and then is up there like hey you know it's me like i'm the guy that sold these guys out you know right. uh, and then his face just like evaporates yeah um and then it's like everybody's dying what detachable arm man or whatever yes yeah. <laughs> um and then so, a real character in um shit what comic is that from yeah i don't there there's a saying. comic from the 60s or 70s where he's a there's a tryout for like it's not the justice league it's like the legion of superheroes or something mm um because dc had so many fucking super squads in the 60s and 70s um and he tries out for them and that's his thing is taking off his arms so it's 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 a really good opening it shows how brutal and violent the movie i think is going to be and how funny it's going to be then that whole thing ends with the reference to the second team and i think it's like one of the more perfect uses of a flashback um is to kind of uh you know just murder all these people um in the beginning and then it's like oh right here's the real characters it's a, it's a good joke i think yeah um and it it's is. a good juice of flashback um but yeah it's you're right it's the characters and i think like you know the thing that gun does really well and of course he does it in both of the guardians movies but he does it in peacemaker as well um but i would also argue he does it in slither um you know going back 15 years um the body harder movie and yes like where he develops these characters that are that develop a 
develop a sense of community a sense of friendship to them um it underlies like everything that like you know basically there ends up being this kind of brotherhood sisterhood that like develops among the characters in his movies um despite being uh diametrically opposed like in terms of personalities to each other um and i and i think that's really like optimistic and hopeful uh, uh in a lot of ways and it's it's something that i really like a lot um and then there's the other tropes of like rat-a-tat-tat rat dialogue like you know yeah. the constant kind of jokey nature of everything um but it works so well but that's to not um not to say that it's like when it comes down to action and violence and writing some of these characters like these characters are can be extremely badass sure and i think the one that actually focus on maybe in this movie as an example is the waller character who viola davis is good in the first movie but it's like in this movie when um blood sport uh breaks free in the beginning and has that knife to her throat or shit or whatever um like it is one of the more badass damn scenes of somebody like being threatened with a, like a, with a sharp instrument to their throat. Um, and, you know, telling people to just back off and don't do anything like it is, she's really great in that role. Yeah, she is. Um, and, but the last thing I'll say is, and it ties back to my point about Yan early on, cause I do think she might establish this. One of the things that I, one, the sequences that I absolutely love in this movie is with Harley is that it establishes or maybe solidifies Harley lives in this kind of magical world unto herself, maybe in her brain where it's like as she's like murdering people after she's been tortured um almost like mel gibson um lethal weapon style like tortured um she murders all these people and there's like cartoon birds and flowers flowers, following her around everywhere um and then when she pierces um uh the starfish eye star's eye um and she's like in whatever viscous liquid the eye like contains or whatever and then the rats stream in and start eating like the ligaments or whatever of the eye like the things holding the eye together i don't understand ocular science but um like she's just like floating and smiling like in this like and it's like this again very magical thing i think yan actually establishes that very briefly she didn't have the final edit of that movie but there's a scene where harley is um pinned down in a warehouse um she's hiding i believe behind heroin bags and um people shoot at her and the hair one of the heroin bags busts and it and, it, and the powder goes up in the air right and she and it co- starts coming down and she closes her eyes briefly and it's almost like fairy dust like coming to it's heroin but it's fairy dust so i think yan actually almost like establishes that in um birds of prey a little bit um that it's like harley almost like kind of like is like involved in these like little like almost disgusting magical moments right um but yeah. i think him pushing that makes her so distinct from everybody else um and so unique and special but everybody gets something unique and special like that i think um hers is just more visual than the rest i he's an absolutely fantastic filmmaker oh yeah definitely. um, yeah i just absolutely love this movie so here's a couple things also i want to talk about um this movie works so well because 
it captures a feeling that the first Suicide Squad never reaches because it's trying to be too dark. Like, even though there's like some comedy to it, it's definitely trying to set it in that really like grim universe that DC was trying to establish at the time. Um, And there's so much more emotional resonance in this movie and legitimately, you know, like we call it like mark out, but you know, big moments where you really feel invested in the movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the first suicide squad, nothing seems to matter and you never care about any of those characters. Like I care more about captain boomerang in his, two minutes in this movie <laughs> right then i care about him in the 90 minutes in the first suicide squad oh yeah michael rooker savant um i care more about that character um or the or the weasel than than anybody in the first movie yeah right so what's funny about what you just said though think about that think about how the great pains the first movie took to try to make it an emotional because they try, tried to turn it into a Will Smith movie as well, besides making oh, it right. dark. They try to make it so emotional, and like this movie contains so much more emotion than that. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the brief conversation between, um, fuck, I always want to call him Bloodsport. Is that his name? Is it Bloodsport? Bloodsport, yeah. Um, between Bloodsport and Ratcatcher on the bus, where he kind of reveals like why he's afraid of rats, and she sort of talks about her father's heroin addiction. I guess that's at the you know those little conversations like it really invests you in those characters and makes you want to see more you know from them and from that universe the one thing that i will say is that i am as a kid was a huge fan of suicide squad as a comic book Mm -hmm. um i always thought it was a really good idea and i thought it was really cool that they took these like minor villains um and made them heroes in a lot of ways uh, we talked about this off air, but sort of imitated in a lot of ways by the Thunderbolt series by Marvel. Um, this movie does it a little better, but nothing quite captures the feel of those comics to me. So while I think like I love this movie, I also sort of wish that there would be something that was more in line with like I would say imagine. Um, I can't think of like a good example of how Suicide Squad worked as a comic. There was it definitely there was no jokiness to it. Like it was all very like serious because these were people who, you know, were risking their lives continuously to like just get years off their sentence. And I mean, they kind of do this because they do it with um both uh Blackguard and uh Peacemaker as being kind of turncoats or you know, sort of out for their own um their own ends. But um, if you ever have the chance to read, there's some collected graphic novels. Um, it was written by a guy named John Ostrander, uh, who was kind of a DC mainstay in the 80s and 90s. He did uh, Suicide Squad, and he did The Spectre, like a really great run on The Spectre. So if you ever have the chance to read the graphic novels, it's definitely worth worth checking out. To see Captain Boomerang in a different light and some of the other characters. And it gets like really super dark sometimes, too. I mean, it was a very... Um, surprisingly mature comic for when i was a child you know reading it but yeah if you haven't seen suicide squad this version of suicide squad you definitely owe it to yourself to um you know take the couple hours on hbo and just watch it yeah absolutely really good all right so i'm going to introduce uh our movies two and one on the list um together 
So number two on the list is 1989's Batman, uh, directed by Tim Burton. It stars Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Kim Basinger, Robert Wool, Michael Goff, Pat Hengel, Billy Dee Williams. It has a 72% from critics and 84% from audiences. And number one on the list is 2022's The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Jeffrey Wright, Colin Farrell, Paul Dano, John Turturro and Andy Serkis. It has an 85% from critics and 87% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about why you ended up wanting to kind of talk about these movies together and then you can do it however you want. So the reason I wanted to put them together is because they're inherently, they're, diametrically opposed films in terms of tone and visual aesthetic um and even like storytelling aesthetic but they're generally kind of telling the same story in a lot of ways um of the idea of like the batman is kind of this like new hero that's there to fight crime um you know like people aren't really familiar with batman and burton's batman um he's only like so the Batman, the Pattinson one, um, is based more in like the year one, year two style universe of Batman, where he was still a young kid, kind of like learning how to be a crime fighter and learning how to really kind of like tackle crime in a way that was meaningful. Um, whereas the Keaton character is more self-assured and more slick, sort of like, even though nobody really like the criminals of the city don't really know the batman yet like he's much more self-assured and also like older um but i think it's pretty amazing that you look at these two movies and to me these are the two best standalone batman films out of all of them i mean we've already talked about nolan's batman stuff right um there's not really much to speak about in the other stuff from the 90s um and then i love batman returns as well right which i like batman returns but there's a lot of flaws to it oh yeah um and you know i i really like affleck a lot but there's no standalone affleck batman right you know he's always a supporting character in another movie so i think it's really interesting to look at first of all one of the reasons why batman is so appealing i think from a film standpoint is because even though he's a superhero, there's a lot about Batman that's very grounded in reality. So you don't need to do a lot of fantastical stuff um, to get the point across about Batman. He's also maybe like by far one of the more recognizable superheroes in like pop culture terms and people know Batman's story. So you get the origin in the Burton Batman, but it's brief, you know, it's, you know, a few minutes of the story. And it's also used to tie in to give you a connection between Batman and Jack Napier slash the Joker. Mm -hmm. And then you get the barest mention of Batman's origin in the Batman because they have enough respect for you as a, you know, a moviegoer and just a human being to know that like, you don't need to be told the origin story again, like it would just bog it down. So instead you get more right into the action of the Pattinson Batman um and then it's it's kind of drift throughout at that point because it, it, it also ties into the a little bit into the main villain as well right oh sorry 
be tired in here. Um, I love Reeves' um, directorial style and aesthetic in this movie. Um, I was not impressed when I saw the trailers of it. I'm going to be honest. Like, I thought it looked yeah. like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something that he captures that still has cartoonish isn't the right word, but like a static visual narrative comic feel to the way that his city is built where it feels gothic and foreboding and like labyrinthian or whatever Mm -hmm. but still feels alive yeah whereas when you look at like nolan's gotham nolan's gotham is just like a city like there's nothing really right in my opinion like really super distinguishing about it and then burton is the complete opposite of that where burton's gotham is like a funhouse gothic you know horror show basically um where batman can hang from like gargoyles and whatever um minarets and shit and like dive down dramatically um but the 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 city but they're also the thing with the city that's really interesting is that it it feels modern to some degree with gothic elements and burden but like the clothing and the fashion is of yesteryear so it to me it creates this really like weird unique timeless element right to his gotham um where it's like uh reeves's still feels very modern like overall and yes and, and very Re- reeves's gotham feels lived in in yes. a lot of ways yes like there's is there's a dirtiness to it there is but it's like i'm trying to think of how to explain how i want to say this To me, there's no life in Nolan's Gotham. It's just set pieces, right? But, like, that chase scene in the Batman um, where Batman is chasing Penguin um, down the highway and they're weaving through cars and Penguin's, like, trying to cause accidents to kill him. There's such a... I mean, I've driven in rush hour traffic more than enough times in, like, the rain to tell you that. And I I guess maybe it's the low angles and the speed at which he films it. Mm -hmm. But it really has the same, like, claustrophobic feeling of being on, like, a highway in a rainstorm. Like, you feel, you know, the the closeness of the other cars and the, the darkness of the road that's, like, illuminated by, like, these flashes of, like, headlight or whatever. It's just it's a really great visual style that that he gives to that movie and on the other hand you know you watch burton's movie and it's like quintessential you know tim burton like everything feels every scene feels like crafted and um like you feel his touch on every single thing in that movie and i think that's that's really cool um as much as i feel like tim burton has dropped off in uh, the past couple of decades I mean, this is him in, like, his best form, and it's, you know, it captures a comic book feel um, to the T, I think, without being, like, condescending to the medium or overly cartoony. It still feels comic booky, if that makes sense. Well, he uses, so going back to what we were talking about with Sky High, he uses Dutch angles um, a number of times in this movie, but he doesn't over-rely on them. And they make sense in terms of the scene itself. So it's like there's Dutch angles 
when Napier is running up the steps um, and they're chasing him, right? Right. Um, it, it shows like it's there to represent kind of like the um, and kind of chaos and uncertainty of the chase itself and what's going on, who's where. And um, so it makes sense, like, you know, to, to use the Dutch angles there because what he's uh, to some degree emulating with some of that stuff is a very film noir um, yes. take on some of that stuff. Um, and that includes his light lighting choices with darkness and light and where he, you know, puts light and stuff like that. I mean, th- there is a definite element of film noir, particularly during the, be- the, the nighttime scenes in the beginning of this movie. Um, and, um, and I find that an interesting parallel as well, is that there's a lot of film noir stuff in Reeves as well, maybe even more so um, when you get into character development and dialogue and um, those kind of things. There's a there's a noir aspect. Uh, so well. Burton's Batman is Batman as an avenging superhero, basically. Like he's the guy that has all the gadgets and is gliding down and basically like you know using more of his like fists to win the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though there's some of that like detective angle, Pattison's Batman is very much the great detective. Like right. he's the guy that has the ability to analyze and deduce and identify on the fly and can kind of figure things out. And there's actually some I, I take a lot of enjoyment, especially in the way that Pattison plays the role. Yeah. Um and um, you know playing off of the other characters in the movie and in particular um what's his name uh jeffrey, jeffrey yeah jeffrey wright as gordon where they don't always know everything like he does make mistakes and he does have these gaps in his logic sometimes when he's so sure that he's right and it's just such a people always try and play batman as this archetype or maybe like even like a demigod almost like there's always a very right strong disconnect between batman and bruce wayne and i understand that that's like kind of part of the comic but the other part is that there isn't like they're really the same person you know like it's always the bruce wayne is the mask that i put on and batman is like who he is so i think that both Pattison in the way that he captures kind of the uncertainty and unease but still like dogged pursuit of justice as Batman and the way that Keaton has that playboy-esque charm that kind of masks like kind of a not really brooding darkness but more of like a mindful darkness kind of um and they're two really great performances um, of that character and it's interesting because they're so wildly different in a lot of ways even though it's the same general idea um but it's both effective and i think that um in terms of the best batman movies i think these two movies are the best batman movies um my only complaint with uh burton's version of batman is he sometimes can be a little too in love with his need to fit his quirkiness into a scene sometimes um slightly in things like and this is like not really a knock but like sometimes in costuming sometimes in 
the way he sets scenes up like you know joker pulls the really long pistol out of his jacket and you know that kind of is meant to be a callback to things like again like the batman um series from the Mm -hmm. 60s um and then my knock for the batman is i think it's a half hour too long um one of my biggest this isn't a complaint this is just i i wish there would have been a little more like editing control i don't understand what it really serves to do the whole like proud boys moment with um the riddler's men aside from that being the exact reason why you do it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like and we talk about this a lot on the podcast especially when we talk about modern movies i am absolutely not a fan of like on point social commentary in the context of a film based on what's happening at that particular moment in time like i think it tends to date your film too much and also make it less universally appealing to someone who comes to watch it a decade later and might not know like what your reference is um and i don't think it elevates batman i don't think it elevates catwoman um i think the riddler's already kind of proven his point in a lot of ways um i know that you and i kind of diverge a little bit on the catwoman part because i really enjoy that character in this movie um i think it's a good setup for like a future series with her maybe or another appearance in a future batman movie um especially because she's a potential love interest and then you can kind of use her as i don't think they did the character enough justice is my problem with it well they kind of made it a little bit one-dimensional i mean you know she's an interesting character that needs more exploration i guess if that's the way to put it but never becomes a fully realized like deep character within the context of the movie um but also the movie's about batman you know right like that's where the main focus is is like getting you to know batman and his relationship with people and i think they do a good job of building your perception of his feelings towards catwoman yeah i mean i think that she does an amazing job as catwoman like i love it's I like the Anne Hathaway Catwoman in um, whatever that Dark Knight movie is called. Yeah, the third one. Right. Um, but I think this is maybe the best overall portrayal of Catwoman in general, um, especially as someone who relies more on their own like live like skill and cunning rather than any kind of like gadgets or whatever. I mean, I I really like that take that um, Reeves brings to this universe in the sense that they're you know fucking ninjas or whatever but they're still just people and they're you know not super powered or whatever so yes i like that sense of realism and and that realism is imbues everything in this yeah um i love the fact that the penguin is like there's no gimmick to the penguin right he's He's just just a dude mobster a dude that's looks unfortunate right yeah it's Um, the same thing with the riddler i mean yeah right i'm not the hugest fan of the riddler because i think it's at heart like kind of a silly character and this is one of my issues with dc in general is that for the great villains that there are there's also a lot of really just kind of goofy you know hanger on villains that you can't really do anything with um but the idea of introducing the joker and riddler together at the end in arkham um where they can kind of like or almost sort of form that like legion of legion of doom or whatever it's called in the super friends cartoon um but here's again my problem and this is why we have to do a list about movies outside the mcu because there is no crossover point where this batman meets anybody else from the dc universe right i mean at least in peacemaker you have that connection to the snyder 
Justice League shit because you know Momoa and um well now Ezra Miller's been blacklisted for me in the Flash and rightly right. so but yeah. you know they use those characters there and you have Waller who's in the same universe mm-hmm. and um you know now um Economos who's been in multiple movies and um but they can never they can never carry it out you know like you're not going to be able to, you you cannot have a moment where John Cena's Peacemaker interacts with Robert Pattinson's Batman because they exist in different universes. And I think the same holds true for Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. You know, I mean, like, here's this movie that really successful, critically lauded, but it can't connect to anything else that's already been established. And that's a problem. Right. Because that means that if that's your favorite iteration of the Joker, mm-hmm. you ain't never going to get it in any meaningful context with your favorite iteration of the batman sure yep unless they do a crisis on infinite earth thing which i guess they could possibly do but they ain't getting joaquin for that no and it also it feels really derivative from the sense of like right marvel's already doing it you know so they already yeah. beat him to the punch sure. and in the comic universe you can get away with that because number one comics back then were like 75 cents so you could afford to buy like several at a time <laughs> And number two, <sighs> sorry, you weren't spending billions of dollars to produce them. You know, like it, these movies like need to be successful. So I think it's really like probably daunting for DC to think about taking a chance. And I don't even know, if, I don't even think they can fix it at this point. So not yeah. as a universe. But Batman 1989, one of my favorite movies from when I was a preteen slash teenager um it's burton at i think his best directing wise um it's a great performance by keaton it's an iconic performance by nicholson it's a serviceable performance by kim basinger um as vicky vale um yeah and good supporting cast i think yeah uh, good supporting cast good uh, soundtrack robert wool i think is really funny in the movie even though i'm not a big fan of robert wool i think it's like one of his better roles um it's also uh interestingly like good screenplay like when yes. you look at like you think about the dialogue and stuff especially mm-hmm. napier's dialogue and um my favorite scene in the movie from a dialogue perspective is uh um after jack palance has kind of like sent napier to his death for um having an affair with his girlfriend mm-hmm. and jack comes back as the joker and grabs his lapel and it's like you are my number one guy right um, which is something that anyone that knows me at all has had done to them, um, <laughs> yes. probably to their to their chagrin. <laughs> right. Um, and then on the opposite end of that, I think that aside from some issues I have with the the pacing and plotting of the last portion of the movie, I think the Batman is tautly filmed and paced. I think it's got a really great visual aesthetic. I love the actors in it. Um, I think it's got a really crisp dialogue that you know is driving the plot the entire time. Um, and again, I think I think it's crazy that you watch Robert Patterson, Robert Pattinson, ten plus years, you know, removed from Twilight or however long it's been, and just how much that man has just owned the idea that he is the actor of choice for like certain roles. You know what I mean? Like he is like the indie actor, and now he's making a case to be like an actual like i guess like mainstream like hollywood star in a lot of ways and i um yeah really 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 love that performance here yeah um there is one thing i want to bring up because i don't know when i'll ever talk about it again is 
I want to make a case that this probably wouldn't be popular by most people is that there's part of me that I anymore I think the Nicholson Joker I like him better than the Ledger Joker um, despite that being like the the supposedly best Joker of all time and that's nothing to take away necessarily from Ledger um, and the way he portrayed that character because he portrayed it the way it was written and right. then, um, well here's the other thing too about that right I I agree with you and I don't agree with you. And I, I don't disagree, but I think that there's such unique takes on a character that they're comparable but dissimilar. Does that make sense? Like, well, I don't necessarily here, think here. it's like apples to apples, even though it's the it's, same it's, it's not. It's not, but... So, here here's my argument, is that like Ledger, Ledger fits into that universe and Nicholson, you know, um, fits into his universe. But I think Nicholson's Joker is more chaotic, actually, at its core and and crazier and tech, and therefore more scary in a lot of ways than, yeah, I don't, than Ledger's sure. Joker can ever be. It's like Ledger... So the famous scene where Nicholson says the line, um, where does he get those wonderful toys? You know, like Batman is just like come in, like fucked everything up, and like there's no like it cuts, and he's just leaning on that railing and delivers that line. Um, and the thing is, there's like no hesitation. It's like he's not. He it's like he doesn't. He's not like shook. He doesn't care like whatsoever. He's right. making like a quip, like you know. He says it a little bit like you know, like wistful way, as like he's trying to maybe hide his true feelings. Um, but it's like you think about Ledger and like Ledger would sit there and like lick his lips and look away and calculate and stuff like that. It's it's because that version of the Joker cares. Like he he um you know, and he's humorless, the like the ledger version, you know. And um I think like the Nicholson version not caring like doing all these like kind of crazy chaotic things like he actually is chaos where ledger's care like joker is more about like talking about how he's chaos um and phil and then making it a philosophical concept that he's like trying to work towards um they both are completely different universes i get that but it's like i actually find nicholson's joker having been far enough away from both versions I think the more intimidating of the two in some ways, because you just don't know what the guy's going to do where it's like ledger could be predictable. I think that version of the Joker. So, all right. So this is actually, I think, I think those are good points. And I'm going to tell you like what I think about Jack Nicholson's Joker is more in line with the idea that the Joker is the clown prince of crime. Like that's, Mm -hmm. I'm always going to go back to like the comic books and Nicholson's Joker is much more the Joker that killed Jason Todd. He's the Joker that crippled right. Barbara Gordon. Like he's absolutely the seventies and eighties Joker character, right? The problem with, first of all, it's no matter like what your take, it's a fantastic performance by Ledger yeah. as that character. So the problem with all of the characters in Nolan's universe is that 
Nolan is just too serious to allow you to have any fun with the character. And if you mm. can't engage with the character in that way, then it makes the psychosis less scary to your point. Or, you know, it's just more because everybody in that fucking universe is a piece of shit or an asshole or a killer. So it doesn't make the Joker anything special. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing that makes the Joker necessarily stand out except for the visual aesthetic and the performance. So part of the problem too, is that like his shit's not built around. It doesn't need to be a cartoon. It doesn't need to be like camp, but there should be some idea that the Joker's whole shit is built around like the idea that life is a cruel joke right that life is an unfair jest onto people and that he's just there to point it out to him um and i think that in a lot of ways like jack nicholson's joker feels more like a crime boss he feels more like a threat um he's got that twisted sense of humor where you know he's doing something terrible that he thinks is funny but is like awful in general and ledger's joker is more of just like a bad guy kind of i guess i don't know but the reason i think that people love ledger's joker so much is number one because he died you know so a lot of people are going to like have some sentimental attachment there plus for a lot of like younger people this is a guy they kind of grew up watching in whatever like 10 things i hate about you and knight's tale like this is a guy and then to see that guy who for most of us was kind of a joke for the longest time become this wholly different character and really kind of nail it i mean it's just really impressive you know jack nicholson's jack nicholson like sure by the time batman comes out nicholson's 20 years into being or at least like 15 years into being one of like 20 years exactly i think yeah being one of the best actors on the planet you know whereas ledger is a guy that is kind of a afterthought you know handsome b-lister to set a scene or whatever that then comes out as this revelation and looks really cool like in terms of like the visual look of the joker um and then the only other thing i want to say about the the batman um was that i've actually come around from my initial viewing of it because i watched i've watched it twice now um, at first I wasn't a big fan of the Bruce Wayne and the look of his Bruce Wayne, I'm definitely not a, still not a big fan of, um, necessarily, but the way he portrays Bruce Wayne, I've come around on after not being so hot on it the first time is because what I think what he's doing actually solves a conundrum from previous iterations of Batman is that there's always this idea of like oh like bruce wayne is this guy and batman's this guy and batman's the dark one he's like the dark repressed nature of bruce wayne like sad orphan and stuff like that um and and and, and batman's got to be crazy right like he's he's crazy and the joker's crazy and they're flip sides of the same coin um and and that these things get brought up constantly like you know that bruce must be crazy for being batman and stuff like that um i think I think I really liked the performance maybe a lot more uh, the more I thought about it is because there is no awkward romantic nature to Pattinson's Bruce Wayne or right. Batman. There's no quippy sarcastic lines um, like Bale's version of, of Bruce Wayne. Um, there's like 
there, there's no feign psychosis as much as I love that scene from Keaton about like you know you want to get nuts. Oh um, yeah, nuts. Let's get nuts. Like it's like there's no feign psychosis there. There's no feign like you know pr- like issues. Um, this is a guy who's just actually broken, and there's just something not quite right where it's like there's a lack of emotion it feels um and it's the thing stuff with alfred that kind of draws out finally some emotion from him um throughout like i said i'm not a fan of the look with like the kind of like floppy hair and stuff but um i'm i I have a feeling that's going to be utilized later is where it's like he's going to have to become a public figure and it's going to be he's going to have to like cut the hair and like you know look like a more traditional bruce wayne and i think it'll work really well at that point but um but yeah, I, I've I've really come around on like his Bruce Wayne, as well as him being, I think the best. I, I know you go with Affleck. I I think he's the best Batman that I've seen so far. Um, like in terms of the way he carries himself and the so, way he moves in the suit and stuff like that. That's the other thing too, though, and this is something like not to drag this out too much more, but this is the best Batman costume out mm-hmm. of all the Batman movies because this is the only one that looks somehow functional like it really looks like he can do the things that he does in that and still not like he doesn't have to turn his whole shoulders to like face to the left you know what i mean like yeah um it doesn't look plasticky it doesn't look like a like a cart like a movie costume it looks like an actual like suit sure that has utility to it that he would wear and be able to actually do this stuff and that's one of like the most interesting things about the visual appeal of Batman, especially like up until they started to kind of get hokey with it in like the late nineties, but it's a very sleek and simple costume. You know, it's, it's gloves and boots of one color tights and top of another color with like the Batman symbol and a cape and then the, you know, the horns. And it's like, nobody's really ever been able to capture that in, um, I think in the right way. So costume wise, I a hundred percent, I think it's the best, best visual um, interpretation of Batman. But yeah. So both of these movies are really good. I'm sure that most people have seen um, the original Batman at this point, And probably a lot of people have seen uh, the Batman considering it's also free on HBO. Um, but if you haven't, and you can spare the two and a half hours, um, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Really great movie. Um, one of my favorite movies of the past couple of years, honestly. Yeah, and um, the last thing I just wanted to bring up before you said that is that thirty <laughs> minutes that you talked about. They did think about removing that because principal photography started in January of 2020 and wrapped about six months later or so. Yeah. Um. So this was before January 6th, and around that time they thought about removing the last thirty minutes. Um. Um. Of this after January 6th happened, and Reeves thought it. And I'll be I would be interested to know why but Reese thought it was too integral to the plot of the movie and um he thought that it was different enough from um the insurrection that uh, well sure did. because it's right it's more like a Jesus sound it's it's more like like the branch Davidians or something than it is yeah. you know it's a cult of personality that ends with like a bunch of wackos like dying as or whatever like yeah. trying to die for their leader as opposed to yeah um well of course then maybe there's some parallels there <laughs> right uh 
but uh but yeah but i'd be more interested in knowing why he thought it was integral because i I, it feels to me like yeah i don't know but um yeah i agree i i actually think the opposite i feel like it's kind of a it feels tacked on in a lot of ways just to extend the runtime and give batman and catwoman more to do together agree yeah um although i like the idea of like the flooding of the city and stuff like that i i like the concept of it but i don't know if i necessarily thought the, the way they went about it was like whatever so all right um but yeah all these movies really enjoyable to watch i thought um really good list despite our making fun of the list for the past two years mm. um as a concept but uh so i and i'm really looking forward to the next batman movie um me too with pattison so. i'm actually like i mean there's never going to be a sky high sequel unfortunately but um really love to see if there's another iteration in that suicide squad universe because i'm excited for that and the batman yeah to your point like i think that it would be amazing um to see like where they go from here and how they work other characters in um but again always going to fall short because it's no continuity to anything else dc's doing so yeah right what's the point you know sure agreed Uh, depressing all right thanks for listening everybody have a good week deuces